Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. If you're joining after last week's episode, then I'm really happy that you're back because that was slight deviation from our usual. We went a little bit off the rails last week, uh, but we all had a lot of fun. But this week we are back to the same old usual format and Spurs for just a moment there threatened to do the same thing and go back to the same old Spurs. But of course, nobody does last minute drama quite like Tottenham Hotspur. So we are going discuss a very exciting end to the game today against Sheffield United that dramatic last second 2-1 turnaround and of course we're going to look ahead to a rather large game against Arsenal next weekend and to do that is the usual team coming back once again of Sox, Elio and Dave. Elio I'm going to start with you because you were in the crowd for the pandemonium you saw it up close and personal with your own eyes what was that like at the end there? Unbelievable right? It was incredible the fact that I have my voice at the moment is just mere testament (laughs) to the decades of training I've had supporting Spurs and losing my voice over and over again my recovery time is impeccable yeah. as a result but it was absolutely mad chatting with Dave a moment ago was asking me sort of was it that sounds where all decibels kind of crumble into one tinny cacophony of noise and it was exactly that I actually think this is in my top 10 most ballistic celebrations as a Spurs fan and not just because <laughs> of the turnaround but because of the manner of it because of the way the other team were playing because of also what it symbolizes and i'll talk about this in a lot more detail later but what it kind of symbolizes for us as a club that we did this in the way that we did this this was just a wonderful wonderful experience it's unspursy it's it's unspursy but more to the point it felt like yesterday was the day that we broomed away the rest of the decay from the content Mourinho era and now we have a genuine <laughs> clean slate to push forward with it felt like that just purged a lot of that misery and pain that we've been putting up with and as you can see I'm still on a high because of it yeah <laughs> strong words strong words I'm glad that your voice has recovered because it would be rather difficult to record a podcast without it so uh, that's good news Socks do you believe Leave. Are you starting to buy into the dreams? Can we specify what we mean by dreams no, so I can respond? No, no I'm, leaving that, I'm leaving that no. open to interpretation. Okay, let me ask a different question. These are the results. These are the performances. These are the moments that swing the balance sometimes, right? These are the moments that win titles. Is it time to start thinking in those terms. Someone indulge me, please. I, I want to start getting on that train. There is absolutely no way, shape or form that we're getting close to winning the league this year. <laughs> On the other hand, in Andrew's post-match press conference yesterday, he did yeah. say, look, allow the fans to get carried away, allow them to dream. That's what the fun of it is. So I don't want to put, I mean, even though realistically speaking, the answer to that question is no. I don't really yeah. want to put too much of a dampener on it on what has been an awesome start to the season. So I think we have more than a right to be happy. I think we have more of a right to start looking at top four if we didn't think, like I thought we would finish sixth or seventh at the start of the season. And I think broadly speaking, I think that was probably the general consensus amongst our fan base, give or take a couple of positions. Yeah. So I think now, even though it's only, what, five or six games in, I do think we can start looking more towards, say, third, fourth, fifth, as opposed to fifth, sixth, seventh. Anything beyond that is, you know, it, it is nice to dream, but we've been dreaming for 20 years in that dream. Well, 20 years for me anyway, and that dream yeah. hasn't become a reality. You know, I'm going to ask the same question every time we win again. If we keep winning, I'm going to ask this every week, and then eventually you're going to have to admit that we're in a title race, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Dave, welcome back. Third and final guest. How much of that game have you seen? Did you watch the game? Have you seen the highlights? Have you got much to contribute this week? Uh, I've got a bit loving Spurs. Oh, well, everybody's loving Spurs. All about the yeah. Spurs love train. But yeah, I watched a match of the day twice. 
because I was up and then up and then up early. So I put it on twice. Didn't show me much apart from the goals, to be honest. So mm. I can comment on those for sure. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're five games in, everything's going well. I would absolutely say it's far too early for you to be, you know, talking about titles and title challenges. But at the same time, you know, I would take this league the way it's looking right now. I mean, Arsenal are currently playing and currently not beating Everton. So as it stands, we've got City, Spurs, Liverpool and Brighton in the Champions League places. Yeah. Sheffield, United, <laughs> Sheffield United, Burnley and Luton Town going down and Crystal Palace in eighth. Lovely. Oh, and my United. Oh, and Man United in 13. Thank you very much. There we go. And we'll, we'll have a live sort of Chris Kamara-esque style constant running updates from you, Dave, as the show goes on, because we are recording halfway through the Arsenal-Everton game. And of course, we're all rooting very much for Everton there. Um, but yeah, as you say, great start to the season. It's actually our best start to a season since 1965, would you believe, in terms of points per game, which is lovely to see. And with that win, with that home win, Big Ange himself has now made it 50 straight home games in a row without defeat, which is fantastic. And he, he came pretty close in this one, as we'll get on to, to discuss. Uh, speaking of Ange, you mentioned a quote earlier, and I think it's a good time to read it out just for just for anyone who wants to let themselves get a little bit excited. He was asked whether fans should temper their expectations with this great start. And he said, no, 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 let them go. Let them go and enjoy it. My role is not to burst people's bubbles. Let them get excited. Let them get ahead of themselves. That's the beauty of being a supporter. They go through enough pain, mate. You want to let them enjoy it. If they think we're going to be world beaters, then great. That's up to us to match that expectation. Our supporters deserve to have some happiness and enjoy it any way they want to. So, in other words, to believe is to support, to support is to believe, as a wise man on this podcast once said, right, Elio? Well, I've never heard so much crap in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what he's trying to say is to the celebration police out there, get over yourselves. You'd be celebrating like you won the Champions League if you won in this fashion against anyone, Sheffield United or otherwise at home. But, Elio, anyway, I know we, we always we like to normally go through the game, start at the beginning, look at the liner, look at the goals, but let's just jump right to the end shall we because that's what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about the absolute scenes the limbs as they say on twitter these days two of those limbs were yours uh, i imagine waving wildly around in, in the crowd mm-hmm. um talk me through the end of, of that game because obviously i think it all kind of changed around the 80th minute didn't it more or less because that's when we were one nil down we're all thinking oh god here we go again we've seen this story and made a couple of substitutions fairly aggressive substitutions it might be said talk me through the last well, I was going to say last 10 minutes, but it's the last half an hour, really, because of how much time was headed on. It was tense. Uh, it was really, really tense because obviously we were on top. We were even more on top than before Sheffield United had scored because now they weren't just sitting back and hitting us on the counter. They were just sitting mm. back full stop and hoofing it to Vicario every time. So it was one-way traffic. It was finding ways behind a park bus. We actually... and. I guess the old trope with Spurs is how we've always struggled when presented with a deep defence. We didn't actually struggle mm-hmm. with this today. We created plenty of good chances. We just didn't take them. So even though it was tense, there was a strange faith in the crowd. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like nothing that you expect as a Spurs fan, to tell you the truth. You expect Spurs fans, and this was what was going through my head, and I'll, I'll admit saying it as well, you expect fans to be like, oh, I've seen this show a million times before, below. Yeah. Oh, we conceded when we've been on top and had a dodgy ref. Uh, we'll get to him. Um, in style we Um, will we will uh, you expect Spurs fans to be pessimistic in such situations but because of the feeling that Ange has instilled in the club because of the way we've actually been playing the togetherness we're seeing in the players for the first time probably since the last season at White Hart Lane really there was just this real unity and dare I say the supporters are actually supporting the team really, really well. And yeah. yeah, really, really pushing the team forward. It was what people always talk about with the Liverpool fans at Anfield, that kind of, we're not going to accept 
that we're not going to win this game until the final whistle has gone. And it's not really something you've had much of as a Spurs fan. I've been going since mm. the mid-90s, and it's not really something I've encountered too often in my time, even when we have had good teams. So so that was really special. And then, obviously, the equaliser, the fact that it was Richarlison, that got the oh, equaliser, yeah. I think it is what guaranteed us the win because the feel-good factor from him being mm. the one to actually get the equaliser after the week he's had, the players were overjoyed, yeah. the fans were overjoyed. And that got him going. That got him going as well. And he, he was so for the and he, Exactly. He was brilliant for the win. I mean, the way we played to get the winner as well, the way Doggy won it high on the left, which he's done for a previous goal this season, the way it got passed inwards, the move was so slick and it wasn't a team chasing victory in the dying seconds. This was a team that were playing at 3-0 up, moving the ball yeah. around like that. And Kulisewski, I mean, it was just incredible. And the cacophony of noise afterwards. I mean, mm. like I said, even in the great atmospheres at Spurs, I don't think there's been many wild celebrations quite like this one. And it doesn't matter yeah. that it was a newly promoted side. It doesn't matter that it's a team we should have beaten comfortably throughout the match, blah, blah, blah. What matters is that we stuck to our way of playing football right to the end. The way Barcelona did in that semi-final against Chelsea once upon a time when everyone was screaming for them to just lump it forward and they just kept playing and playing and playing till Iniesta got that goal. This was yeah. what we, we just kept playing and playing and playing, doing what Ange says he wants us to do, sticking to those values. And we got our reward for it. And mm. the, the best team won and the best team went home with their fans feeling like they just witnessed a bit of a turning point and a real turning point. It's been good so far this season, but a real turning point from the cesspit of an experience supporting Spurs has been for the previous four years. I'll say comparative cesspit because I don't, don't want Dave to remind us about teams that get relegated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, course, Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it was, it just felt like, it was like Batman in The Dark Knight Rises when he finally claws his way out <laughs> of the prison because he's finally done it without the rope to stop him falling, done it without fear. This was us yesterday. So, so let me let me get this straight. First of all, I think that's two straight episodes we've made a Batman reference. And I think that's three straight episodes <laughs> in which you've compared us to Pep's Barcelona, which is, uh, that's telling in itself. It's interesting you mentioned Kulisewski. I don't know if you guys watched the video I sent around earlier of Kulisewski being interviewed after the game. And he was echoing a lot of what you were just saying, Elio, in that, they didn't panic. They were calm. They trusted in their game. They were just passing it. They were doing what they were doing all game, knowing that it would eventually pay off. And he also called out the crowd. And he said, you know, the crowd actually were really supportive, whereas in the past, in similar situations, they might have been a bit frustrated and let out a few groans. I know a couple of the idiots in the crowd were throwing the ball back onto the pitch. I mean, don't know what was going on with that. But apart from them, idiot, uh, it did sound like you guys did a great job from the stands of getting behind the team. So that was good to see. Um, the obvious comparison is obviously the Leicester game, right? Under Conte, when we, when we had the... Uh, what was until this game the record for the latest any team had been losing a Premier League game and then gone on to win it that was the 95th minute this was the 98th so you know wore a trophy and all that but this felt different didn't it so Sox I'll get your thoughts because correct me if I'm wrong because my memory is not great I'm not like you and Elio I, I don't have this Spurs rain man recall that you guys do um, I recall that game being a little bit smash and grab in that we weren't that great that game and I had absolutely no hope and it almost felt more dramatic the Bergwijn incident because I didn't see it coming because it seemed absolutely out of nowhere like I'd given up 
I thought this game's done. I almost turned off. Whereas this felt different yesterday, didn't it? You're right. Your memory's terrible. We should have been about 4 up <laughs> in the first half about Leicester game. <laughs> it, okay, it, I stand corrected. It made it feel like a smash and grab, but we should have won that in the okay. first half. But then the way the second half went, it was more of a smash and grab at the end, I suppose. We didn't okay, maybe I'm only remembering the last 10 minutes then. Um, <laughs> Dave, wait, wait, sorry. Dave has just held up a post-it note with the words goal alert on it. Over to you, Dave. What's happened? Has there been a goal at, where are they? Emirates? Goodison. 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 <laughs> As it? As it? I don't know. This is, what, this is why I'm not replacing Jeff Stelling. <laughs> uh, 1-0 Arsenal, Trussard. Oh, yeah. for f- no. Hopefully Arsenal will score a few more now because they're going to win and Everton will go down. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. Only interrupt us now if, if Arsenal can see it, okay? So, so, what does this ending mean for Spurs? What have you learned from this? Does this show something we didn't know we had before? I agree generally with what Elio said. Like, this was the first time... Like, the only other time I've ever felt like I did yesterday was when we were in that Pete Pochettino era and we won 17 out of those 19 home games during the other two. And there were times where we would go 1-0 down. I remember one against Hull or Burnley or something like that. And you just never lost confidence that the team would come back. And it was the one season in however many I've watched with Tottenham that felt very anti-Tottenham. And this was the first time where at minute 88 and minute 89 and minute 90, I was too scared to actually say it out loud just in case I jinxed it because I'm superstitious that way. But deep in my heart, I was like, I still think we're going to come back into it. And then the second we scored with Richarlison, again, I was too scared to sort of speak it just in case I spoke out of existence. I just had that feeling like there was something about it. And we did panic a little bit. And I think Ange mentioned it post-game as well. We did lose our way slightly. And even though the this goal ended up being well worked, there were a few instances where we rushed and we were hoofing it and, you know, someone hit a long pass or there was a set piece or whatever it is. But for the most part, I think this early into the Angira, I think that's to be expected. Like we're not a team, this specific team, anyway, forget the club for a second, this specific team is a team that's five or six games into its project. So it isn't a team that has mm. any experience in... I guess this is the first time we've dealt with something like this for these players, mm. I suppose, which is a weird thing to say, but it's the first time SAR or Destiny or whatever have been in this environment for us. So it was a good test just by virtue of the fact that even though this is the worst team we've played on paper, with the exception of the Brentford game where they sat back, albeit they were at home, this was the first time we've played an opponent so far this season where we weren't just able to carve them open and they didn't leave space in behind for us. And even though I didn't think we were at our best and even though we created chances without too many of them being massively clear cut i don't think you can say that we weren't good value for the win so yeah i've I've got no real complaints these will happen again and we say it a lot but we're so early in the season that it's so difficult to read anything into it because all of these are one-off instances like what if this happens Mm -hmm. three more times and then we lose those three or something i don't think that will happen but there's almost that part of me that's like this is great this is the start of something i'm like well i don't have enough evidence to kind of make that kind of claim but at the same time it's the first one and we pass the first one so whenever the second one happens at least if anyone was a bit anxious, you can always think back to this and be like, all right, well, yeah. we have reason to be a little bit calmer. Cumulative confidence, cumulative confidence. <laughs> that, that's what it's all about. Quickly before Dag comes back in, I just want a slight humble brag. I wouldn't, I know. But you say there no. that you didn't want to say anything just in case you jinx it. You can call me out on this because Petrus was with me. We all know Petrus. You can ask him. I did actually say, I don't know, a minute or two before we score, if we score, we'll win before we got the equaliser. That's yeah. that's how confident I was. I think that's how confident all Spurs fans were. And that's why mm. we believed the way we believed yesterday because the team's given us reason to at long fucking last, right? Yeah. You always back us to get the second goal when you got the first more than you back us to get the first in the first place, right? That was exactly. That's exactly what it is. sentence, but I think I got the point across. People won't like it, but the thing it reminded me of most was what Arsenal were last season. 
If you actually ask mm. me, we've been comparing ourselves to Guardiola's Barcelona. We're actually most like Arsenal last year, where we have a very young team with a manager that everybody has gotten behind. There's a hell of a lot of emotion and good feeling and good vibe. And they had a hell of a lot of these, not smash and grab, but these last minute winners with the stadium going absolutely ballistic. So people aren't going to yeah. like the comparison because it's them and we never want to speak about them. But that was weirdly the first thing I thought of, for better or worse. I think so far we're kind of closer to them where we seem to just be riding like so much of our play is just vibes and so much of the club at the moment is just vibes and we're just kind of like after having suffered for so many years it's such a polar opposite that everybody is almost too high and inevitably there will be a come down but at the moment I think we're allowed to enjoy it. Definitely parallels there. And it helps that it's quite a young squad and quite a young setup as well, isn't it? Spurs posted the record saying this is the latest winning comeback in Premier League history. And there's a photo and someone shared it. And Harsh Mishra shared it just saying, it's crazy that not even a single one of these players was born before the year 2000. You've got Destiny, you've got Van Der Ven, you've got Kulusevski, Saar and uh, Brennan Johnson all celebrating together in one photo. And they're all they're all born this millennium. It's absolutely madness, isn't it? When you think about it. So... So to the game itself then, let's talk through it. Because obviously, I think we could have been having a very different conversation had the whistle gone at 95 minutes, right? As it may well have done. And credit, the only credit probably to the officiating was the fact that they did add on enough time in the end for the second half. And I think there were, there were actually, I had some booze at halftime, which I assumed were for the mere three minutes that were added on and for the refereeing rather than anything that the players had done. So I guess better late than never. But we could have been sitting here having a very different conversation. So I guess it's interesting to look at the game, take the goals out of it. And it, obviously it's worth mentioning it's important that we manage to do that and keep our composure and score those goals and they were lovely goals and we'll talk about them but what do you make of the overall performance were we comfortably the best team and are there causes for concern including or otherwise the goal no we were the best team we did deserve the win and as for causes for concern If you're going to nitpick, it'll just be that we're still not really sure what the best combination up front is because they all seem to kind of flit in and out in moments. Solomon had a very, very eye-catching game, but let's say end product wasn't quite there. Kulusevski still didn't seem quite natural for his position, but he's the one that stayed on for a reason, and that's because he's probably the one with the biggest f***ing heart of a lot of them, and there's a reason why he's the one that got the goal. Son or Richarlison down the middle, we're still not sure who's going to be better or not there based on this. So I think that's the only slight concern, but I think we deserve to win. And I think we play like this more often than not, we'll get what mm. we want, even with a slight question mark over the attack. Oh, and speaking of attackers, nice little cameo from Brennan Johnson. Yeah, I was going to say, his disallowed goal was almost quite quickly forgotten and overshadowed by everything that happened minutes afterwards, right? But what a touch and finish. Really nice. Just having come off the pitch as well, or come on the pitch. That's a nice sign of things to come. And I actually thought he looked pretty sharp with the ball as well. So yeah, hopefully we'll get to see him. And obviously we've talked quite a lot about Sheffield United having this kind of park the bus, very deep setup, trying to soak up pressure. And obviously our next couple of games we'll get onto, you'd imagine will be very different. So who knows what he can do with a bit more space in behind. We talked about the game. We talked about the fact that we had 12 minutes added on. Dave, I want to get your thoughts on uh, your old pal, um, Eki, and his his team's tactics. Because a lot's been made of some slightly, shall we call them, dark arts. I don't know what you want to call it. I think the real answer is time-wasting here. He had some words afterwards. I want to get you in first because I know Elio is going to have several words in response to Heckenbottom's tirade uh, at the end of the game. But what did you make of Sheffield United's if we can call them tactics, if it's not too kind to call them tactics in this game. Well, it is tactics. It's, it's absolutely tactics. But I think you guys, are you're overthinking it and being too, <laughs> getting too personal about it. It's a tactic for the championship team in the Premier League. Mm. They, they're trying to survive. You're saying they have to play that they way. Have to, they don't have to play that way. They don't have to play that way. But if you look at all things being equal, play the odds, they should play with as little as possible 
time in play. They should play it as aggressively as possible because there's a chance that you can, you can argue this, that the aggression for a championship team is more aggression than the Premier League team. Mm. Um, it's, it's basically the complete opposite of what we're having to deal with right now in the championship with Leeds because we've got essentially a Premier League outfit and we're having to completely change our mindset to be more championship. Whereas Sheffield mm-hmm. United, of Heckenbottom is he's a limited manager. And I'll be interested to know, or we'll never know, but I'd be interested to know what the boardroom conversations have been because I would be shocked if the boardroom conversation wouldn't be, we've done this a bit too early, let's not embarrass ourselves, but at the same time, we're not going to spend a lot of money and hopefully we go down with a bit of respect and a bit of credit in the bank and then we start again. Because I was, <laughs> I was looking at the side, I also looked, I was watching match of the day and I also saw the Luton side in it and that resonated even further because I'm just like, mm. these guys, I'm all for giving players who are in the championship a chance. But if Leeds in the championship signed anyone from Sheffield United, I'd be a bit underwhelmed, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, they're playing as a unit. Yes, they're on the crest of a wave because they just got promoted when, quite frankly, not a lot of people thought they would. No one thought they would challenge. And they're doing whatever they have to do to try and survive. And it's not going to float everyone's boat. It's going to be yeah. pretty horrible football. But like we said earlier, the new rules mean that you can't get away with it. And they didn't get away with it. So it's all good. Yeah. Exactly. And we saw what happened, to be fair, when Burnley tried to go toe-to-toe with a, a top Premier League club last week, right? They tried to play the right way, the way that we want to see, and did not do them any favours at all. So I suppose there is an argument to that, to a degree, to a degree. I've yeah. seen a lot of people saying on Twitter, a lot of neutrals, a lot of people saying, oh, you've, you've got to feel sorry for Sheffield United coming so close and, you know, having it snatched away at the end. And um, I saw a lot of people coming back, and Elio, I think, is one of them, saying, uh, no, why should we feel sorry for I them? Don't, I don't understand that reasoning at all. I don't understand why anybody would feel would feel sorry for a team who played a way that meant that the rules dictated that they had to play for longer and they conceded yeah. goals. It's like, it would be basically the equivalent. Would you feel sorry for a team if they conceded in the 84th and the 88th minute? Because that's basically what happened. Yeah, effectively, it's the same. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm from I'm from Leeds. I have no sympathy. But <laughs> <laughs> Elliot's holding back. I can see. I can see he's ready to unload. So, in terms of their tactics, aggressive football, fine. I I don't like it when our team's on the receiving end of it. But play aggressive because their players are worse than ours. It's their way of trying to level the playing field. Play defensively. Yeah. Absolutely, it would be lunacy to not play defensively against us. But the time-wasting elements, and yes, they got punished for it and we got our due reward, so why should I complain about the time-wasting? Because you can say that's why we won the game in the end, because of all the time added on. Yeah. If I was a Sheffield United fan, having travelled 176 miles from Sheffield to Tottenham High Road, and I saw my team have that little possession, but in such little possession, the player who had the majority of it being my team's goalkeeper... Mm. I'd want a refund. I'd want a refund for my petrol, for my food, for my ticket. It's ridiculous. They've paid. Looking at this from the wrong perspective, Elliot. What I'm looking at is there's no way any of those Sheffield United players, even though they lost today, yes, that kid was crying, and and you know, Camazora is going to take the picture of the kid crying. Elliot has new wallpaper on his phone because they nearly (laughs) beat a big club. They nearly beat a big club. But that's such a patronising attitude. That is such a patronising attitude. Sheffield United have won an FA Cup. Sheffield United have won an FA Cup. Sheffield United have won a league. Yes, it was in the 1800s. (laughs) 
Living the Sheffield now, United we were in the are cup, not a cup final in '75. Yeah, exactly. You were. Sheffield United have been in the Premier League more years than Bournemouth, more years than Burnley. Those are two sides that are trying to play in the spirit of the game. Sheffield United have had more Premier League years under their belt than a lot of newly promoted clubs that don't come with such cynical tactics. They've made a lot of money out of those years, including uh, a couple of seasons go by being in the Premier League. They can invest in a squad that can hold its own if it actually dares to, believes in itself. But they choose to go down this route. So this is why I'm frustrated, because Sheffield United could mm-hmm. do better than this. Sheffield United, they're not Luton. Luton are enjoying their first year in the top division since the 80s, since David Pleat did a jig on the touchline when they stayed up on the last day. <laughs> Sheffield United aren't Luton. Sheffield United are a decent-sized club with a decent amount of money who could do things a better way. They choose to go down the cynical anti-football route. And it is anti-football. And it's not the defensive part that's anti-football. It's not the long balls that's anti-football. And it's not the aggression that's anti-football. By the time-wasting... It is so expensive watching Premier League football. It is so expensive paying for subscription to watch Premier League football. The time-wasting, it's not on, and I hope every team that does it gets punished, and I hope the three teams that go down this year are the teams that time-waste the most. (laughs) Unlucky Newcastle. I love the fact that that rant is basically... Wasting time? It's basically Elio (laughs) feeling sorry for the Sheffield United fans. (laughs) Yeah, that's why he's frustrated. (laughs) That's his main frustration. (laughs) they, They did it. I don't agree with it. They got what they deserved. Poor Sheffield United fans. <laughs> Elio just basically caught the metaphorical ball that is this podcast, fell to the floor and held onto it for about five minutes just now. That's why he just did a West Fodringham classic. Ultimately, they do them. We got the points. Ha ha. I'm glad the child was crying. There we go. And we're back to bullying children. I started this episode by saying that we were going to revert back to some kind of decorum and and be a professional outfit, unlike last week. We're dragging ourselves down a hole here. The person who is most to blame is the referee for actually allowing it in the first place. The referee is the one that's to blame. The referee should book the goalkeeper. The second the goalkeeper takes... 25 Mm. seconds to take a goal kick, yellow card should come out. He won't do it again the entire match. It should be a black and white. They should take that out of the referee's hands and just make it stand up rule. Just book him the first time he does it. Then it won't happen again. And the first time a goalkeeper gets sent off because he's done it twice, then you'll never see it again in the Premier League. Ever. That's a very good point. And let's not forget also that he was already booked for handling outside the area. So I think a cynic might say he probably would have been booked for several of those incidents had he not already a, been sitting on a yellow, which is wrong, which is wrong. But that's that's just the truth of the game. We all know it happens. You know, there are What's yellows that would be given referee? if it's a red. What was his name again? Oh, I can't even remember his name. I've written it about 50 times in the last game. Well, that game. was his last game. So you don't need to remember it because he's probably never refereeing again. <laughs> have you seen a cleaner game of football get 12 <laughs> yellow cards and a red before? 12 yellow cards and a red for a game where no one even farted in the wrong direction. Three points. First of all, we singled out Ollie McBurney last week with his mad elbows, or Dave did anyway, oh, yeah. I think, and said that he was a liability. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a nice little bit of foreshadowing. There you go. <laughs> Secondly, of those 14 yellows, amazingly, none of them were Romero. And he's actually, I think, mm-hmm. only made, I think in this game, he made his first foul of the season five games in, which is incredible to him, especially. And I was going to say, Sox, you've been quietly waiting your turn over there. I know you wanted to say something i don't know if it was about the officials i don't know if it was about sheffield united but what did you want to get on to i was just going to ask elio bearing in mind that every team should never play this way get punished get fined get relegated <laughs> if i offer you 
a victory at the Emirates this weekend, playing exactly the same way Sheffield United did versus playing our way and losing. Which one would you take? And if we win, oh, you would love it. I will absolutely, I will absolutely take the victory playing anti football. One hundred percent. Would you Just prefer it? Not only would you take it, you'd, you'd prefer it. Exactly. <laughs> and me too, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> but oh. I am fully prepared to be a hypocrite as long as it suits my agenda. <laughs> well, yeah, they say all's fair in love and war, and I think that also extends to the North London derby. I like it's just separate, isn't it? Like the rules go out the window, form goes out the window. Anyway, we're jumping ahead. We're going to talk about Arsenal. Hey, you compared me to Batman this, last week. This is my origin story. I'm an anti-hero, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I am the one who knocks. <laughs> okay, moving. Oh, not moving on. We're staying. We're sticking with this. Um, I, I want to talk about the actual goals. Is there much we could do about the first goal? And I guess more importantly, at that point. What was going through your mind, Socks? Like when the goal went in, we'd been on top of the game for most of it. We had a lot of possession. We'd had a couple of dodgy decisions. Well, a lot of dodgy decisions go against us. Were you thinking, oh God, I forgot what this felt like. This is going to be one of those days. This is this is how it's going to end, isn't it? Or did Init- you believe we could turn it around? Initially, it was that this is predictable. Yeah. I've seen this movie several times before, but then similar to what we were talking about before, I can't remember what minute that was in, but you just looked at the time on the clock and then yeah. you looked at the 12 minutes that were added on anyway. And then I, like I said, I had that optimism that I wasn't confident enough to actually speak uh, or yeah. speak about. In terms of the goal itself, I mean, it was what, a long throw or whatever. We'd had a decent spell, but we didn't really do too much with it. And uh, over a period of maybe 20, 30 minutes, and they started to come out and they come back into the game slightly more. I don't think it's the sort of goal where you need to point fingers at anybody. Like every goal could be prevented. So depending on how nitpicky you want to get, someone could have cleared the initial header on the throw. I'm sure someone could have attempted to block the shot. Vicario couldn't have done anything about it, but I don't think yeah. it's the kind of thing that needs an incredible amount of dissection. Like we've already discussed, the most important thing is that we have seen this movie before and we managed to change the ending for the first time in a long time. And that's yeah. the most important thing. Yeah, I know we all kind of believed on some level and there was that sense that we could turn back into it and there was definitely enough on the pitch being shown to suggest that we have what it takes to get those goals and to win. But I must admit, there comes a point in any game that you're behind where you just say to yourself in your head or out loud, I'll take a draw now. And and I did actually reach that point, I'll be honest. And it wasn't. It was way before the 12 minutes were added on as well. It was approaching 90 minutes and I was like, you know what, I'll take a draw. If we get an equaliser now, it won't be the fair result, but I'll I'll take it. And that's just the bargaining stage, isn't it? I don't know if anyone else went through that process or if you were just right down to the wire, like, nope, three points or nothing. Elio, I suspect you were probably up until the 97th minute thinking I will settle for nothing less than three points, right? So when 12 minutes came up on the added time boards, I had literally a few seconds before that says anything less than 12 minutes will be an absolute crime. but i was also fully expecting it to be less than that so i was expecting it to be something like seven or something like that so when it was 12 yeah in my mind it was like win or bust at that point and then when i came out with the comment that i told you about saying if we score we'll win i still have that mindset i think if we'd gotten down to the final sort of couple of minutes i'd have probably settled for the draw but i was still very much (laughs) we can win this we should win this at the point that we got our first goal and then and then a hero steps up Richarlison. We talked about him so much this year already, and I know we've already touched on it this episode as well. Comes off the bench, 80th minute, came on at the same time the Son came off. To Andrew's credit, it might have been in the 80th minute, but it was to a more attacking shape. So we kind of went to like a 4-2-4, uh, and it sort of paid off. I mean, look, formation's phenomenal anyway, but it, it definitely paid off. And and immediately there was an impact, wasn't there? I think Richarlison just took the game by the scruff of the neck as well. And if you could have picked anyone to get the equaliser slash winner or just to score and be involved, it would have been him, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And um, I think more important 
Bolton done any formational things because I don't think the formation side changed that dramatically. We were camped in their half before that. We were camped in their half after that. Uh, I think what it changed was the style of attack because we brought in mm. a guy who could ping in crosses of equal brilliance left or right foot and we brought on a more physical better in the air centre forward than Sonners and that's why we got the goal because Perisic took a great corner Richarlison had it in the fact that our equaliser came from a set piece was almost ironic given that I think the goal we conceded started off from a long throw from them as well so so I feel like the key thing he changed was the style of play as much as anything else because I think you're with me in this and that it's always a bit amusing when a manager makes a change but he literally just makes a man-for-man change expecting it to actually yeah yeah, like-for-like expecting to make make Mm. a difference so having Richarlison who's completely different to Son on the pitch and having Perisic who's completely different to Solomon on the pitch and even Hoybier mm. is different to Saar because he's probably a bit more of a direct presence than Saar is as well so having those changes in and maybe just mm. adding a little bit of agriculture to the way we're playing is what got us the equaliser. Hoiberg actually came on in the 95th minute for Van der Ven. So that that's really like that that's kind of football manager when you're losing and you don't care because you're just yeah. going to reload the save anyway and you just go <laughs> everyone up front. I think in possession because obviously our wing backs are not defenders. It was effectively like a 1-5-4 formation at one point by about the 95th minute. I mean if you're going to score two goals in the dying minutes of injury time that's the way to do it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, absolutely lovely for Richarlison. I've got a great quote here from Son because of course you you'll have all have seen Son pushing Richarlison to the front of the celebrations at the end in front of the crowd which was lovely to see and that's that's a proper captain move if you ask me absolutely love seeing that and he said uh, seeing Richarlison score felt better than me scoring Richarlison has had difficulty since last week and I've been thinking about how I could help him he's a talented friend and it was unfortunate that he was blaming himself due to bad luck and other reasons I know how it feels as I've experienced similar so I hope he can show a stronger side and grow after today's game uh, that's my captain I love to hear that and you know what I believe it from Son I feel like if any other player said that you'd be like yeah of course you rather score yourself I kind of believe it from Son of all, of all players it wasn't quite at his best today but I think this, the fixture was never really going to suit him with the team sitting deep but it's nice to see him take the leadership responsibility quite seriously isn't it Sox? yeah I mean when the three captains got appointed we were speaking about how they all bring a little bit of something and like Son is almost like eternal optimism or whatever he's like a Teletubby on the pitch it's just full of joy and <laughs> happiness and those sort of bad words Romero is just sort of you know the tough guy at the back and Madison is kind of a halfway bit of a charismatic character so it's a nice blend between all of them like I've never really seen Son as a leader in the way I don't know Tony Adams to throw a random name out there. Yeah, right. He's never been that kind of a player. But at the same time... He's not the old school tough guy type. No, but you don't need to be. And there is merit in in what he's done. And again, the whole point of having the three captains this season is that Romero is there and a couple of others to provide that balance. So yeah, it just seems to be like a really harmonious dressing room. I don't know if you've seen, but I think pretty much every game this season, they're all on each other's social media, just sort of tweeting at each other yeah, and commenting like on their Instagram. But, which I find really weird because they're probably on the same coach on the way home from the game when we play an away game and they're just probably sat next to somebody and just liking and commenting all their Instagram posts or whatever. But it's, it's still a nice public yeah. show of affection and does show kind of the, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but there is kind of a family atmosphere about the squad. And it's the yeah. sort of thing where like, if you just think of yourself at your real job, you're going to do much better in your real world job if you're like the people that you work with. 
It's not about your ability. You yeah. want to like your boss. You want to like your colleagues. And on the contrary, it would be a lot harder if you hated your boss and you hated your colleagues or whatever. So I don't see why it should be any different with football, if anything more so, because you're spending mm. so much time with them. And there is more of that. I need you to pass me the ball. I need you to do this. Like there is way more of a kind of a team ethic. So the fact that a lot of them do generally, yeah. I'm sure there's clicks as there always will be with this kind of stuff. But the fact that there does seem to be human beings who do generally just like each other and want to spend time with one another can only be a good thing. It's a snowball effect, isn't it? It's a snowball effect because everyone gets involved in it. They like their post, they share their post. People see that, they get involved in it, they share it. It bleeds into the crowd and then you get the chants going and everyone loves Spurs again and then the songs start. I genuinely believe that it comes back around and, and if the crowd are up for it and the crowd are involved and invested, it gets the best out of the players on the pitch. And I, you know, I don't think that's anything too controversial to say. Oh, the love, in fact, it really does help. It's absolutely yeah. massive. You yeah. can actually see that these guys really are enjoying each other's company really enjoying playing yeah. with each other and they really seem to push each other on yeah what happens if it all goes wrong though what happens if we do lose a game do you back them to rally together and get through it okay because it will happen I do. Let's be honest. I do because yeah. I think in a very short space of time we've actually cultivated like I said a stronger bonds between them than we've seen in a hell of a long time it's <sighs> Weird thing to say when he's been your best player of the Premier League era, but I think, mm. and this is me half admitting Socks was right about something, but I feel like... <laughs> That's the I best you're like going to get, Socks, a half admitting. Taking, <laughs> taking Harry Kane out of the dressing room, taking him out of the club, taking that spectre that's been looming over us every year for the last few years away it's like we've cut out a big blister and the skin heals over it really really quickly <laughs> like and this is no disrespect to harry kane he was and is an unbelievable footballer and one that i'm delighted gave us a decade of his career but him not being there it's almost like when you have a good cry you you have a good cry because you've been bubbling and bubbling and bubbling and really stressed out and you have that good cry and you feel loads better afterwards it's like the club just feels better now the club feels a lot more content a lot mm. more relaxed and a lot more able to roll with the punches whereas before every little pinch felt like the end of the world. Harry Kane, though, he only managed to draw at home against Leverkusen this weekend. It sounds like a bit of a disaster, if you ask me. Maybe he needs to move to a, <laughs> another club where they have that sort of elite mentality. Maybe that's just me. He um, didn't need to make those comments. They were a bit silly. They were a bit silly, but I think the reaction to them was also a little bit silly. I think it would probably taken out of context, but, you know, let's just forget about him and let him move on. On that note, it's actually a quote from Basuma. I love my club. I love my teammates. I love our fans. I love the stadium. I just love Spurs. Thank God for all this love. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I'm, I'm all for that. I've got a lot of time for that with Basuma. Eve John Lennon Basuma. Yeah. It reminds me of the end of Mean Girls where that random girl turns up and is just like, I just want to bake cookies and all of us eat like room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why can't we just all be friends and get along? <laughs> oh, dear. I have not seen Mean Girls. What a what? excellent reference, Socks. <laughs> well done. Homework for Elio. Go and watch Mean Girls. I needed something to balance the Dark Knight Rises and Mean Girls was just on the opposite end of that spectrum. I would like to spend a minute or so talking about a young Swede who we have not even mentioned yet, I don't believe. Or if we have, it's been only in, in passing, who deserves all the love in the world, to paraphrase Basuma. Dejan Kulisevsky, who was the match winner. And um, I've, I've been quite critical of his right foot in the past. I take all of it back immediately <laughs> because uh, what a hit with his supposedly weaker foot. A few stats from him that I think, Elio, you shared 
shared earlier in that game 62 touches 34 final third passes 14 touches in the opposition's box which is the most of any player seven shots which is the most of any player five chances created and three big chances created both the most of any player two shots on target and one absolute thunder bastard winner in the 900th minute the 100th minute god i can't even get used to that but unbelievable and it, it was a great performance not his first great performance of the season he's he's recently been called out for covering the most ground of any player in the premier league would you believe as well uh, well you would believe it because he's him uh elio i know you're a huge fan of kudasevsky and he's a man who perhaps doesn't get as much attention or celebration as he should he gets nowhere near as much as he should he does look a little bit awkward in the system still. There's no hiding from that yeah. because the system is geared to release someone with pace and while he's not slow, it's not his trump cards. But the way he does take the ball, the way he controls, the way he drives us forwards more than any other player in the side, he's by far the best ball carrier we've got in terms of getting us up the pitch. He's, in my opinion, the most heads-up player we have as well. I mean, mm. the fact that he didn't get several assists yesterday was down to either decent defending or poor finishing from us because he put in several really great balls into the box. He also hesitated and second-guessed himself a few times and didn't release as quickly as he should have and that's something for him to learn on. But just because he's not at his sparkling best doesn't mean he's not providing this team with a hell of a lot at the moment. And I was so, so happy to see him get the winner yesterday because... You know what? If there's any player on our side, I think that you want in that situation, that high pressure situation to win you the game right at the end, it is Dejan Kulazewski. I think the kid has absolute nerves of steel. He is super composed. And I think he's going to have, mm. a, as I predicted preseason, I think he's going to have a really, really great season for us. I'd say what he reminds me of so much in moments like that is when he had his first spell with us when he set up the late winner for Harry Kane with that really yeah. brilliant yeah. sort of delayed I cross. Was he the same he thing. just finds a way to slow the entire game down to his pace when yes. he's in the danger zones and that is a really rare skill and the people criticizing him are the people who don't really understand what makes a good footballer in my opinion. He deserves some criticism because he's not been at his best, but yeah. people are picking on things that are quite irrelevant given what he's actually doing. So what if he's not as quick as obviously Brennan Johnson is or Son is on the other side, or maybe not quite as nimble as Solomon is? He is yeah. a super intelligent footballer who gives this club an enormous amount, and I love watching him. I'm glad you said that, Elio, because I'd quite like to criticise him. I'm just going to sit back for a few minutes. I, I will caveat it slightly by, well, there's two things. The first is that I think he's being, and we've spoken about this multiple times, I think he's being asked to do a role that he isn't capable in doing in the sense that he's not a 1v1 dribbler, and I don't think mm. his future is in that role. And right I did just say he looks system. awkward in the role. No, yeah. completely. And I don't disagree with that in the slightest. I think the second is that my expectations of him are so high because I have a very specific idea in my head of how he should play. By criticizing him, effectively, all I'm saying or what I think is that he's delivering seven out of tens where I've seen him consistently deliver nines and tens. And whether it's fair or not, when you have that level of expectation on a player, they are going to get, like, I might wax lyrical about a Hoiberg or a skip 7 out of 10, but for Kudasevsky, it isn't good enough in the same way that if you get a B plus at school, but you're capable of getting an A star, I'm going to criticize mm -hmm. that. I think what I would say that, is that that's I think fair the though, last... but there's people actually saying squad player at best can't work in no, a Manchester team, and that is 
That is ridiculous. If that's what you're, if, if that's what you're referring to, that I completely agree because that's absolutely yeah, that is. just f-ing stupid for lack of a better expression. What I would say, <laughs> and the other point on it is that in the last kind of few minutes, I think you saw the future of Kudasevsky in this team because when the changes were made, Johnson yeah. was the one who went to the right wing and Kudasevsky went he a went bit more central. inside. And obviously yeah. that's where he props up and he gets his goal. And when we had John McKenzie on a few months ago now, when, when he did his video for Tifo, he was talking about Kudasevsky in the future anyway, moving away from that right wing role and moving into effectively where Madison plays at the moment. I think the, yeah. not, fr- not frustration, but you're not going to see that much this season unless Madison gets injured and we don't want Madison to get injured. But I mm-hmm. think if we're back in some kind of European form next season, it's really annoying because in my head, I almost don't think we'll see the best of Kulisewski until he's in that role consistently. And I don't think that will happen until we're in three or four competitions or we get a long-term injury to multiple players that we don't want to get injured. But I do yeah. think you saw glimpses and it wasn't even just the goal. There was a instance prior to that I think where he was central and he cut inside and he played a there were a couple of different really really good final passes that he made kind of inside in behind the defense and again it was the Kulisevsky as a 10 Kulisevsky as an 8 so it's it's almost kind of annoying that he's not going to be able to get that opportunity or in a way you don't want him to get that opportunity but at the same time it was a nice glimpse into the future. It's probably a nice dilemma to have, but I think is there a degree of a horses, of course, a situation here in that if we are playing someone like Sheffield United that we know we're going to sit back and be compact and we're going to have to put crosses in, we're going to have to unpick the defence and we're going to have to play a little bit more smart. We put someone like him in, that's where someone like Madison will shine over someone like Son, for example. And then if we're playing, say, Arsenal next week or Liverpool the week after, is that when someone like Brennan Johnson you'd think actually makes more sense on paper? Do you think Kudusevsky should be nailed in as that position or in the team somewhere regardless? Or do you think there is an argument, depending on an opposition, that there's a better option on that right-hand side? I think there's always an argument that there's better options in different places. I mean, there's an argument for Son to be on the left sometimes, for Son to be in the middle sometimes, for Richarlison to be yeah. in the middle sometimes, and for Solomon to be on the left sometimes. All these things mm-hmm. are valid. We haven't just gone and spent £50 million or whatever on Brennan Johnson to not use him in the position he's played most in. So there'll be times when he does make more sense than Kulisevsky. I, I suspect next week will come too soon, especially off the back of Kulisevsky getting a uh, last minute winner. I think it's unlikely we'll see Kulisevsky out of the side next week, at least from the start. But yeah, up against sort of a high line that's going to leave space in behind, there's definitely an argument to say, put Brennan in. What what I would say is that we have a lot to look forward to in terms of what we can do because we've still got players like Valise to integrate. I know he's young, but by God, he's, he looks like a man to me. We've got... Did you see um, him going mental on the sidelines, by the he, way? Yeah, him and Brian Hill next him to each other. Hill. Brian Hill's the <laughs> other one. It. We've got Brian Hill to come yeah. in. There may come a time when, yeah. when Busuma gets injured and the best way to go about things is to move Kulusevsky inside, put Benton Core at the number six role and put mm. Brennan Johnson or Brian Hill that one. There's going to be so many options and that's why yeah. we have the squad that we have now and why we actually somehow did quite good business this summer barring the centre-back situation. So I think yep, it is yep. a horses for courses for the situation. As it stands, though, Kulusevsky is a nailed on starter until he gives genuine reason not to be. And that means we're yep. not doing well and he's not doing well within it. There's no reason to take him out of the lineup yet. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Dave, I've got a couple of important questions for you. First of all, in the Spurs canteen, who would be the plastics sitting down telling the new sign-in that he can't sit with them? Oh, great question. Yeah, uh, I thought so. Some mean girls reference earlier. Struggling, struggling to work, look past James Madison, to be honest. Yeah, that was the first name that came to my mind. <laughs> He's a bit pretty, isn't he? 
<laughs> He's a bit pretty. He wears pink on Wednesdays, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does. Anyone else? Or is it just I him? I have no idea what you're it talking about. It might just be him. It might just be him. Uh, yeah. uh, we, we can come back to that. Is he Regina George or is he one of the oh, other absolutely. ones? Oh, absolutely. Oh, he's Regina. Yeah. Yeah. I think he is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I Sorry, you've got to watch this film. It's so good. I'm dragging us back into last week's episode again, aren't I? Uh, my next question, Dave, and we can come back to that because that's obviously hugely important. My next question is: Has there been any, any updates in the Arsenal Everton game? Anything? Full time one the Arsenal. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I asked. Oh well. Well, they're at least they're still below us in the league, aren't they? On goal difference, I believe, which means there's all to play for next week in uh, the North London derby. So, of course, next Sunday is the biggest game of the season so far. The biggest game of most seasons. It's Arsenal at the Emirates. It's a fixture we don't generally like. It's a fixture we don't generally do particularly well in. But these are not general times. And we are riding the crest of a wave, as they say. And whilst they are good, I don't know if they are outstandingly good. Those words may well come back to bite me in the arse. Dave, as our chief opposition scouts, I think we've all watched a fair bit of Arsenal this year as well, and obviously last year. Where do we begin? What do you make of Arsenal so far this season? Have they picked up where they, not necessarily where they left off last season, because they, as we all know, bottled things a bit, but are they as good as they were last year? And uh, how do you see the game going? Um, They have kind of picked up where they left off last year, but obviously they've made some quite fundamental changes to some of the personnel. So... Gabriel Jesus hasn't started any any games yet. I don't think he didn't so, start Ke- today. Did Ketier, he? Ketier, Ketier, Ketier's so. had a had a had a fair few runouts. Obviously, they've got Kai Havertz, who is the man that no manager can work out. I feel like we're getting to the point now where we're going to have to say, "How was he so good at um, Leverkusen. at Leverkusen for him mm. to be for him to command that kind of fee? And why isn't anybody playing him there? It might be a German league versus English league thing. It might be something to do with." Uh, I don't know, something else. I don't know. But yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, that. But yeah, he's obviously getting to grips with how Arsenal play. And then obviously we've got Declan Rice in the middle, who is, he's really good. He's really good. He's better than what they had. So you you would have to, Mm. you'd have to argue that that's a, that's an upgrade. I don't understand the goalkeeper situation. Raya started today Mm. for no particular reason, it would seem. But they've picked up results. They messed up at home against Fulham. But other than that, they've got a fairly, fairly, well, a very positive record. So they have picked up a little bit where they left off. Their team is different. I'm not 100% sure. In the same way that I'm not saying Spurs have won the league, I'm not saying that Arsenal Mm. have messed up, especially when they're on the same number of points as you guys. But... You know, it's a top of the table clash. It's going to be box office, so it should yeah. be yeah, it should be good. And you can only hope that Arteta sees it as a big game and does a pep, which is basically completely overthinks a big game. Wow, this is what I was about to say, Dave, and you you kind of hinted at it there with a couple of those descriptions of specific players. It's weird to say this given how much further along they are in their process than we are, but they seem to be in a kind of experimental phase at the moment, weirdly. And I don't know if that's just Arteta trying to flex his tactical muscles and trying to be Pep Guardiola and just making clever decisions to show off, but it it does seem a little bit strange. He started the season with Partey as a kind of inverting right back. That didn't go brilliantly. They were lucky to get through the game against Forest. They've had a few moments like that and I know that we're obviously still finding our feet but we seem to have found our system four or five games in and maybe even sooner and we know how we play I'm not convinced that Arsenal quite know exactly what they're doing this season but they seem to be limping over the line given that they've got a lot of quality and they haven't had necessarily the toughest opponents am I being a bit harsh there Sox do you think I am teeing this up for Arsenal to smash us 3-0 next week no because I think their own fans have been echoing the same sentiments from what I've seen where they expected them to really kind of hit the ground running this season a bit like they did at the start of last season and whether it is Arteta being too clever or he thinks in the long term this new 
new system, whatever it is that he's trying to do will be better for them. I mean, managers change and adapt their tactics all the time and they do it season by season yeah. because if you stand still in football, you're going to get caught out. So there isn't necessarily anything wrong with them trying to do something new. The issue is, what if that new thing is worse than the thing that you did before? But from an mm. Arsenal fan's perspective, I suppose you would argue is that, well, we're still winning football matches at the moment, even if we're not our fluent best. I think for them now, I think their biggest problem in the long run is the fact that I'm not convinced they've actually improved their squad because they've added in Declan Rice. I don't think, as it stands anyway, Xhaka to Havertz is anything other than a sideways move, and that's be being generous. And then they got mm-hmm. incredibly unfortunate that Yuri and Timber picked up an ACL 45 mm-hmm. minutes into his debut, which was obviously, you know, I know we don't like them, but it was still really sad to see all the same. So they're in a position where they haven't really made that much improvement by way of personnel. I think they also have the extra challenge, which will start for them this week in terms of the European Cup. Last season, they were, okay, they had the Europa League, but you're always able to rotate your side a bit more and you don't have to play, you know, Saka and all those games and the players that they would normally rest. So this specific Arsenal side under this specific Arsenal manager have an experienced Champions League football and that is going to be an added kind of test for them. But mm. who knows? I mean, we started last season brilliantly and even as late as March, I think we were still third or fourth and we ended up finishing eighth. So it, it's impossible. I mean, it, you know, football can make fools of us all or whatever. So <laughs> it's too early and premature to say anything. And what I would say is that with the exception of maybe us, and that's me being obviously inherently biased, I wouldn't say there has been an outstanding team. Like I've seen a, a few of City's games and I would say City don't look at their fluent best either. And I do think it's just teams getting up to speed. And we have to remember as well that last season was an incredibly long season with the World Cup and there's no way in hell that isn't having after effects because there are players doing hamstrings and ACLs left, right and centre. There's a couple of players at Madrid that have done it. There's a couple at Chelsea that have done it. Arsenal have had one. I refuse to believe that this is just a coincidence. So I wouldn't be shocked if everybody is struggling a little bit off the back of yeah. last season. Yeah. And that's why I said before, it can make fools of us all because in two or three months' time, once you've sort of shaken the to use kind of like a UFC reference to sort of ring rust off a little bit <laughs> and you're kind of firing on all cylinders, then you'll see whether it's last season's Arsenal, last season's City, whichever team you want to refer to. Mm-hmm. There's no way they're operating at their full capacity. For our sake, we just need to hope that that continues on the weekend. Yeah. But I don't think it will. Yeah, I think the picture of Yuri and Timber being stretched off was actually Elio's previous screensaver until it was replaced by the <laughs> Sheffield United kid. Right now, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, not even Elio is that mean. Um, Elio, to bring it to you, first of all, how much how much stock do you place on the team's respective forms going into this fixture? I know there's that old cliche of form going out the window, but does it really? Do you look at Arsenal and what they've done this season and how, how much credit do you put into it when you're considering how we went fair against them? I do think form goes out the window to an extent just because... There's so much hype around this match. I, I actually think this is the most hyped game in the English football calendar, including the Manchester United-Liverpool match, including the Manchester derby, including Manchester United-Arsenal these days as well. I think this game mm. gets so much attention because Spurs and Arsenal are what a lot of people see as quote-unquote banter clubs. Spurs Arsenal sells. Um, so I, I think that it is. It's so, what it generates in terms of noise and in terms of heat, it's hard. I mean, Dave might shoot this down completely to be fair and say, What the f are you talking about, you biased prick? But I, I just. <laughs> I, shr- I I never. I never. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm lost in it every time, but it really is huge. It, it's hard to explain it. Mm. But, so, I do think there's an element of form goes out the window. However, that would not explain why for the decade and a half that they were clearly superior to us in every way, they beat us left, right and centre every time. 
So yeah, wasn't going out the window then, uh, clearly. <laughs> what, 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 I, what I would say is that form is similar between the clubs. We're playing better. Doing the whole football on paper versus football not on paper thing, looking at their sides that play today at the moment and looking at their bench... I don't see many points of jealousy. I mean, Saliba's great. So is Romero. Gabriel's good. So is Van der Ven. Mm. I hate to jump in halfway through this. I was going to say this for later, but you're kind of encroaching on a little thing I wanted to throw at Dave. Uh, Well, this is is the point of the year where we do see those. And and I know they're very divisive. And I know you're not generally a huge fan of them. But I feel like this is a point where we need impartiality because they always come up on Twitter. And they're always either from a Spurs fan putting in eight Spurs players or an Arsenal fan putting in eight Mm. Arsenal players. So Dave... If you well, can. Before you go there, though, I just want to sort yeah, of make my, my point, which is I'm looking at their side that play. The only players that I'd say, hand on heart, I take over anyone in their position at our club, Bakayo Saka and Declan Rice. Those two, absolutely. They're, they're okay. clearly top-class footballers. Everyone else, there's an argument to be made either way as far as I'm concerned, and I don't think there's a huge yeah. amount between the sides and I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic going into it that said we shit ourselves over there so I expect us to again potentially <laughs> it is at their ground let's remember that yeah so you had something to say before we go today yeah, yeah, he's furiously writing away his team I understand where Elio's coming from I think the advantage they have is they're coming up to the start of their fourth year with the same manager so whatever you think of Ben White on paper this is a Ben White that is operating at we spoke about it last week, actually, where we, we spoke about how Pochettino managed to turn Danny Rose from one of the worst left-backs we've ever seen into the best left-back in the league. The difference they've got is that it's not about what you think about, oh, is Odegaard that much better than Madison? Is Ben White that much better than whatever? Is Gabriel that much better? It's almost irrelevant. What you have is a team that is more than the sum of its parts because it's had three or four years with this manager. So mm-hmm. if you took them out and put them under a different manager, under a different system, they need to sort of readapt. And that's the advantage that they have. At the moment under Ange, Ange is probably giving them, and I think that he said as much, that he's giving them just limited instruction because there's only so much information he can give him this early on. They don't have that problem. They've been doing this thing for three, four years. And ultimately, that's the huge advantage they have over us. It isn't, is this player better than that player? I would probably disagree with some of the comparisons, but I don't enjoy these one to 11 things anyway. And they're never one to one, but there are different systems and different styles of play. So they never really work out well anyway. But that is the advantage that they've got that you know, it's not about, oh, do you think Gabriel's better than Van der Ven? Mm. It's the fact that Gabriel has had three or four years of coaching under Arteta and Van der Ven hasn't even had three or four months. And that is ultimately when you put all of that together, it makes them as much as none of us want to say it. They are a better team than us. And that's just the reality. You know what? I agree wholeheartedly with everything you've just said. So much so that I feel like you have just completely undermined the mere concept of a combined 11 to the point where I almost want to say, Dave, don't bother. But I feel like he's done it now. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to humor we're going to humor me and we're going to go ahead with it because I, I think, you know, it's nice to throw out a little bit of low hanging fruit clickbait once in a while. So, Dave, what have you got together for us so for whatever it's worth, whatever little it might be worth? player by player ignoring the sum of their parts and the fact that they've all become used to their respective systems etc what are we looking at for your spurs i take it it's like a 4-3-3-ish yeah i'm gonna piss, I'm gonna piss you all off oh, i can't um, wait for this this uh, is what so i wanted i've got, Dave. I've got over eight arsenal players <laughs> already uh, so uh out of vicario raya and ramsdale i think raya is the better keeper i did put ben white at right back earlier because i like ben white <laughs> more than Gareth southgate does anyway and i don't think he's done anything wrong i thought this right was meant back. to be unbiased well tough uh saliba <laughs> and romero at center back yeah, uh, uh zinchenko at left back because i think he's a uh, he's a he's a sol- he's a more solid player there i regret this already rice and ben Tenko 
midfield. Hmm. Odegaard, number 10. Saka on the right. Son on wait, the left. Wait, Gabriel Jesus at the top. So there's no James Madison in your team? No, I picked Odegaard over him. For what it's worth, yeah? I completely agree with him, except I put Odogi in over Zinchenko, but I think he's exactly right with every other position. And it's for the reasons I said, because if you ask me now, would I swap Odegaard for Madison? The answer to my question is no. But if you ask me who's the better player at the moment, just by virtue of time, the answer to that question is still Martin Odegaard. Well, I guess we'll see next weekend, won't we? Yeah, well, we I mean, if you, me, if, you me to, if you want me to create a Vibes 11, it's going to be different. <laughs> oh, vibes 11? Emerson Royale is uh, captain, surely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Asa as coach. That was just as controversial and divisive and silly and unnecessary as I wanted it to be. I want to see what you say about the right-backs after next week's game, because <laughs> if you do watch, obviously, just because... One thing I've learned about Pedro Porro this season, which I didn't know before, I knew he was a good crosser and he was very fast before, and that was about as much as I knew about him because we didn't see much of him as best. Pedro Porro's actual infield passing and playmaking is exceptional. It is unbelievable. It's like he's played inverted wingback his whole life. Genuinely. I mean, listen, defensively, he's always going to be a bit suspect, I think. But some of those passes, honestly, I think he's as good as Trent when it comes to that sort of playmaker from right back <laughs> role. I think he's as good as Trent. That's what I like about you, Eddie. You, you say the things that other people wouldn't have the balls to come out with. I like it. I like it. And you know what? I think Pedro Poirier is a wonderful player. And yeah, I, I'm particularly impressed with how well he's picked up their new system. Because as far as I'm aware, he's never played there before, has he? He's always just been a kind of touchline, no. outside, up and down wing back, putting the ball in. Yeah. He's, he's obviously got a shot on him. Uh, he can hit a thunder bastard. But, he, uh, he, was, um, he was a poor man's Daniel Alves before. I mean, that's not, still not bad. That's like the shoot Maradona last week. You know, you take oh, being yeah. a shoot Alves. <laughs> yeah. On the pitch, anyway. Um, right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm dragging the tone, dragging the tone down again. Moving on very swiftly. So it's going to be put it this way: it's going to be a very different game to what we've just seen from Sheffield United, right? And we, we kind of touched on the fact that it is going to be an open, a more open game. Both teams playing quite a high line, potentially quite a lot of goals. Does anyone dare predict what kind of a game we might see? Which players might we might particularly want to be watching out for? Who might have a good time out there, or anything along those lines? It's going to be one of midfield whichever team's midfield takes control of the game is the team that wins the game and I think that's where Arsenal probably have the edge by virtue of Declan Rice being who he is and Odegaard having that sort of experience under this manager in this system for as long as he has but I get hope from the way our midfield has controlled every game it's played bar none this season this is obviously by far our hardest test so far we are away to last season's second best team and one of the top 10 teams on sort of current standings in Europe so this is going to be a huge test for our midfield but Belief is everything in football. Leicester won a Premier League title. That is one <laughs> Premier League title. Leicester City in their second season back in the league, having nearly got relegated the prior season. Elliot. I can and I will. <laughs> Leicester won a league off the back of belief, off of riding the crest of the wave. We are on a wave, my friends. We are on a mm. big <laughs> wave. We are on a tsunami right now. So <laughs> I have I have every reason to think that we are going to win this match next week because we are going to win the midfield. Ah, I've got goosebumps. I've got goosebumps. That, that was like Big Angie's go get your lunch speech. I love it. <laughs> Dave, Dave, please jump in. I don't want to make any wild predictions because I'm, bo- I'm bored of saying you're going to win 3-0 and you're not winning 3-0. And then don't, the one, please I think don't the one time that. I said you won't win 3-0, I think you did win 3-0. I was a 2-0, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but anyway... What I would say is that Arsenal did finish second last season and they finished second without Europe. And they have to play Europe on Wednesday. And you guys don't have to play Europe on Wednesday. 
And that, in big games, is a big difference because they will be tired. I mean, it is a home game, so you're not getting the full benefit of them being, you know, having to travel to the other side of Europe. It's a home game, but it's against PSV. There were no mugs, and they need three points from that game to get off to a good start because even though their group is a joke, and quite frankly, it looks like a Europa League group, but it's actually a Champions League group, it's still yeah. a group where you know there are plenty of potential banana skins there, and they need a home win to start off. So that's in your favour. And yeah, I would agree with what Elio said in the fact that, you know, essentially we're talking about two form teams here, but Spurs are playing slightly more attractive football. Arsenal seem to be just getting over the line, whereas obviously, you know, 98th in the, in the 101st <laughs> minutes aside, you guys are playing good stuff. And yeah, I think uh, I think you've got every chance of getting a result there, but it is Arsenal. So it is. The, 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 smart, the smart man in me would say that you probably won't get anything and you should celebrate if you get anything. Well, I am not a smart man, Dave Jameson. <laughs> I am not a smart man. What I am is a man who just saw his team win in the 101st minute and that is far better going into the North London derby than if we trounced Sheffield United 6-0 yesterday. That is far better. There we go. You sure know how to find that silver lining in a cloud, eh? I like it. That's, <laughs> I, I, that's I got brilliant. No, I've got no retort for that. Wow, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, let me retort. So the bookies have made Arsenal odds-on favourites to win that game. A three the to bookies. four. The bookies. The bookies. <laughs> uh, the oracle of all knowledge that is the bookies, aka Bryson's recruitment strategy. They also have priced us. So this is, I say they, it's bet 365, which uh, again is not a paid promotion. They they take my money. They don't give me money. Um, <laughs> 16 to five is the odds on Spurs to win, which I actually quite fancy, to be honest with you. I, th- I think even though I will be dooming us to Do suffer not. a defeat, Do not I think bet. that's quite a nice price 16 to 5 for Spurs to beat us <laughs> Arsenal are odds on odds on which is uh, with, yeah, yeah, I with thought it'd be around about evens maybe I don't know like they, are odds, 10, they are odds on see odds that on. makes me even more confident maybe whoever priced that up did it 95 minutes into our game against Sheffield United and then they switched off and then went back to work and that makes prices. me even more confident Spurs Spurs are always <laughs> there's two things about Spurs one we're always better with wingers two we're always better as the underdog <laughs> I think if that was true earlier, we'd have done a lot better over the years. Yeah, because <laughs> as soon as you the underdog, you sh** yourselves. <laughs> oh, well, well, I can't wait for it. I mean, look, let, let me ask you this. Are you dreading it or are you excited? Well, I'm going to be in Cyprus on a beach at the time. Well, not during the match, obviously. I'll be in okay. a pub. But whatever <laughs> happens, I'm going to be really, really drunk and in beautiful weather in a beautiful part of the world. So you didn't answer my question. Really. I'll still hate. <laughs> I, I will stay, still hate life if we lose. No, I'm dreading it. Of course, I'm dreading it. I hate this fixture. You, can't, you can't dread these games. This is this is why I you mean, I love it. This is why you support the club. You have to. You have to like these games. I mean, you the, know, the, we, the we answer drew, is we always both, isn't it? We, we drew Man United in the third round of the FA Cup when we were in League One at Old Trafford, and I could have dreaded it. In fact, you know, I was probably really nervous that we were going to get absolutely tonked, but we won, one nil, and it was brilliant. And you know, that's why you're a fan. It's what you want to mm, do. Yeah. You want to, you, you want to, you want to look forward to the games against your bitter rivals, even if you're a massive underdog. Which in this case, you guys are not, and the bookies, mm. I think, are a little bit out of out of kilter with reality. <sighs> Those damn bookies. What do they know? Elio, have you found a pub to watch the game in yet? Have you done some research? Should we put you in touch with the Spurs Cypress Supporters Club now that we're the biggest well, football you're, podcast you're, you're in Cyprus? You're a celebrity there now. So. We are. I mean, they might <laughs> recognise you, or at least your voice. Just walk down the road really loudly saying, football's not played on paper and this game's going to be won in midfield. <laughs> and they'll immediately know that this is Elio from the Plus Dave podcast, local hero. <laughs> One of their own. I will. F- the prodigal son returning. I, <laughs> I will find my venue of choice on the day. 
There are many moving parts because it also, my father, the reason we all support Spurs, it's my father's 70th birthday that day, which is the reason we're in Cyprus. This is the man without whom me, you, Socks, Spurs doesn't exist for because you support Spurs because of me. I support Spurs because of dad. Socks supports Spurs because of his dad, who supports Spurs because of my dad. So this is where it all started. 70 years of Spurs in our family this Sunday. Happy birthday. As, as beautiful and sentimental as that is, can we not start <laughs> some kind of online thing to get Elia... Absolutely. A crowd around Elia to watch this game? Oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to reach out to uh, to the Spurs. Or where, where are you going to be? In, in? Brodera. Brodera. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to do some research. I'm going to find out where the local supporters club is, and I'm going to make them swarm you in the game, wherever you are. <laughs> I really hope my dad doesn't listen to our podcast because it's meant to be a surprise that I'm going to be out there with him. Oh yeah, well maybe maybe I'll edit this bit out or just tell him just tell him we're not recording this weekend. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I hope, uh, in all seriousness, I hope you have an amazing time. I hope he has an amazing time, and I think you got a lovely birthday present. You and Ange, I should say, who share a birthday um, a few weeks back, and let's hope he gets an even better birthday present with a win against Arsenal. That would be just lovely, wouldn't it? Um, before we move on to what I believe is, and again, speaking of spoiling surprise. Elio, am I right in thinking you have a challenge, Elio? You are right. I do. Excellent, excellent. Um, Well, in that spirit, while we're talking about questions, I've got a bit of a humdinger here for you uh, before we move on to that. This is one I missed last week, and it's because I actually got an email just a little bit too late before we went on to record, so I didn't get a chance to read it. And it's a brilliant question, and it actually comes from one of our podcast contemporaries, one of the wider Spurs podcasting families. Some listeners might be familiar with a little show called The Extra Inch. I say a little show; it's much bigger than us, and it's another Spurs podcast. That I'm sure many of you also listen to, the presenter of which, Wendy, has sent in a question to me that was supposed to be asked last week. So apologies, Wendy, if you're listening. Uh, we're going to ask it now because I think it is a great question. And he asks, who will be our player of the season in the 2024-25 season? Dejan Kulusevski. Kylian Mbappé. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, would you like to show your working, please? <laughs> and yes, well, so we'll come back to that. Yeah, his contract's running down. I was about to say his contract runs out summer 2024. By that point, Spurs yeah. have won the league. He wants to play for a team that plays in the Champions League and in all white. Kylian Mbappe, 2024-2025. There's your answer. You know what? I think I shared this with you guys earlier, but I started a save on Football Manager 2022 recently because I was missing Spurs in the international break. So I decided to try and recreate Ange Ball. And somehow in the window before my second season, and this is FM22, so we're we're in like end of that season, I've managed to sign Kylian Mbappe on a free transfer for Spurs. So whoever says Football Manager isn't realistic, have some of that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I will pretty much bankrupt the club if he scores more than five goals with the bonuses I've given him. It's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, in all seriousness, I assume that that's not your actual answer. But does anyone have any shouts for who they think will be the star man in that season? Telling you, Dejan Kulusevski. I'm going to combine my over the top love of him with Sox's prediction yeah. of that will be the time that he gets to move into a role that gets the best out of him, and I believe that he will become the alpha version of him himself he'll be 25 at that point as well and just start beating the shit out of opposition on a weekly basis he's mm. going to be the Dembele de Bruyne hybrid that we all <laughs> dream of it's hard to argue with that one the interesting thing about this and I said this back to Wendy is that there are genuinely so many answers to this question and that's why it's a great question Christian Romero because Christian Romero is so good at being Christian Romero he really is very good at being Christian Romero he's, he's better this season at being Christian Romero than ever because he's not committed a single foul or he's committed like one so he's, he's reached peak sh- housing he's basically the defensive Diego Costa uh, <laughs> Socks do you have another, an answer other than Kylian Mbappe I do like that one I like where you're going with it it's hard to look beyond the same plays I would probably pick for this season so you can imagine 
imagine okay. a, an even more improved Destiny Adogi, albeit left back stone often win player of the seasons. I find it hard to just not say Basuma again. I find it hard to not just say Madison again. But I actually agree with Elio. I, I agree with Elio's pick because of him moving into midfield us being yep. even better under Ange next year. I think if he is some sort of an eight or a 10, I think he'll kind of come into his own. And it just means it's a bit different. As a, I picked Basuma for this year. So I'll, I, I yeah. like Elio's pick. I'll go with that one. I feel like if we're unanimous on this, it will be really boring. So Dave, I hope you've got a slightly different answer of for course your he does. Spurs player of the next season. Spurs player of next season, slightly left field answer, Richarlison. That, that's potentially that very is. left field. Can you elaborate? <laughs> Jesus. I like that. Because he's going to get better and will suit your team. You know, everything we said at the start of the season, that Richarlison was actually, you know, a serious option in the middle if Kane left, it's still valid. He's having some issues at the moment, which is getting over. He scored in front of the Spurs fans this season. I think he'll get the most goals that he's ever got in the Premier League this season. And then I think he'll beat it next season. That is a pick so left field. It makes Stalin look like a moderate. <laughs> well, that's, uh, I aim that's to a, please. That's a communist joke for any of our listeners out there. So <laughs> proud. That's as left field as Gareth Bale in the Copa del Rey final when he ran off the pitch. <laughs> there to we come go. Back that's, on. A bit, that's a bit more apt, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I took it back to football sorts. So, what I like is, I think there are two players in our team now who. In a year or two time, I think, and to be honest, we could have said he probably should go into this bracket as well, but I think could legitimately be looked at as the best or one of the best players in their position in the world. And I know I'm going to get laughed at for saying this. And I think those two players are James Madison and Christian Romero. I honestly think James Madison is that good. I'm not saying he's that good now, but I think if he carries on this trajectory, I think he's not far off. I think there's an argument to say he's the best attacking midfielder in the Premier League, which is why I scoffed at Dave putting Odegaard in. Obviously, there is Kevin De Bruyne. He's not bad. But I think Romero is going to be my choice. And I know earlier you kind of said him as a backup. I think Romero is just ironed out all the issues in his game, fingers crossed. So I'm going to go with Romero. I think he is just getting better and better. And I think he is... I mean, Lionel Messi thinks he's the best defender in the world. I wouldn't go that far yet, but I think he, I think that's his ceiling. I think he could become the best defender in the world. And why couldn't he be at 25, 26? I think the only way that the defender wins a player of the year accolade, certainly a Premier League player of the year accolade, is if they win the league. So you're basically saying that you think Spurs are going to win the league. Well, no, we're not saying that a player from Spurs will be player of the season. We're saying who will be our player of the season. And that's not an official vote necessarily. That's just who will be our best player. Would you say that you would say that a player of the season would have to excel in their position, but also influence so heavily others around you that you're talking about, uh, you know, no more than 38 goals conceded in a season, if not 28 goals, if not 20. If Romero becomes as good as I think he can, then I think we can win the league. We've had a lot of... Is winning our Gold player of the say. season. Judas won it. Stephen Carr won it. <laughs> Jan Vertonghen won yeah. it. We, we we like giving it to a defender from time to time. We're, we're, we're yeah. off like that. We hate giving it to Harry Kane. Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> we love giving it to Son Heung-min. Yeah. Okay, have we covered that? Brilliant. Well, thank you, Winnie, for the question. Really enjoyed that question. Sorry we didn't get to answer it last week, but it gave us a bit more content this time around. It's far too sensible a question. Well, that's the thing. Week. It wouldn't have fit in last <laughs> week, would it? I mean, especially if I'd thrown it in at the end after some of that absolute dross. But anyway, no, I'm glad we managed to cover that. So, uh, moving on to Challenge Elio, which is a uh, recurring feature that we occasionally do. It's essentially a trivia round that Elio has now taken over. And Elio, I, I imagine you're going to ask us a few questions and pit our Spurs wits against each other. I am. I'm actually going to pit you against Socks here because there's literally no mm. point in Dave being... I mean, Dave, you can answer if you want to. Cheers, but... guys. See you later. All the best. <laughs> can I have Dave on my team? Because I don't fancy you, my chances against Socks. I feel can, like I need... Have, I mean, 
if Dave is on your team, we're essentially elevating socks to me status from the way it used to be when well, it was well, me think, against the world. I think that's perfectly fair. That's fair. Have I also climbed out the cave? Have I emerged like in the Dark Knight Rises? Can I sit at Jardine's <laughs> table? Jardine's table. This is your first jump, socks. <laughs> yeah, it's your I've first jump. You got the rope on you, though. You got the rope on you. Yeah. No, I need, I need Dave. I need okay. Dave. So I'm going to ask you in light of what happened yesterday, a series of questions about, I think I've got nine, I think I've got an odd number, so there has to be a winner, about last-minute turnarounds from Spurs when we were losing games. And uh, I'm going to be asking you who the players were that scored these goals. I've lost this already. Do we need to buzz in? How does it work? <laughs> or are you buzzing? Um, oh, we haven't had a buzzer in a while. We haven't had a buzzer oh, in a while. Yeah, just, in. Go, just, go, just alternate. Oh, yeah, gonna... and then and if you get it wrong it goes to the other person yeah I think okay. that's fair so who wants the first question the one man band I'll have it I'll have it because I'm hoping it's the easiest one I'm hoping you start oh, it's gentle that's, fo- that's foolish is that is that a rookie mistake <laughs> I'll have the first question okay you can have the first question some of these are quite easy some of these are quite hard <laughs> that doesn't mean I'll get it right by the way even if it is the easy question I hope the first okay. words out of Elio's mouth are in 1893 <laughs> <laughs> so in November 2008 that might as well be 1893. <laughs> Harry Redknapp won his first match as Spurs manager against Liverpool. We won this game 2-1. Who scored our late winner? That's not true. That wasn't his first Spurs match. But it was okay, because Clive Allen actually took the team for the previous game. Harry Redknapp gave a team talk, but the previous win against Bolton was given to Clive Allen as manager. Ah, I stand corrected. I have a suspicion. Socks wouldn't be trying to correct the question if he didn't know the answer. So I, I feel like I'd better get it right. I so, anticipated Socks correcting me on that and was prepared with was prepared with some knowledge there to shut it down. This is why he's not quite out of the cave. This is why he's still got his rope on. <laughs> Get back in your box. I'm doffing my cat. That is a chapeau. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> Touche, sir. Touche. I expected that retort. So here I go. <laughs> this is this is me just stalling to buy time that will in no way help me because I still don't know. Repeat so, the question, please, Quizmaster. <laughs> first um, official first home game. match as Spurs manager. We beat yeah. Liverpool two one. We scored the oh, last you know minute I think winner. I, I've got a feeling about this Who one. Who scored that goal? This could be wildly wrong, but I've just a little voice in my head, as it so often does, is saying Sebastian Basson. No, wrong he one. scores no. the winner when we beat them two one on the first game of the season in the 9 uh, okay. 10 season right. when we qualified you know for the what? Champions League for the first time. I'm entirely wrong, but I'm still happy with my answer. I'm really just using this to show off. I know you are. That's why you always do this. Socks, who scored that winner? We got absolutely battered in this game. I think Jared hit the crossbar. Gomez pulled off save after save. And in the last yeah. minute, it was a ball in from the right that was almost kissed into the far corner by Roman Pavlichenko. And we won 2 Absolutely. One point to Socks. <laughs> I love not only did you get it right, but you answered it in pure Elio fashion as well. You just, you just threw, in, threw in so much unnecessary detail just to show off. Can you tell we're related? You are definitely related. It was a beautiful you? October sky. No <laughs> DNA test required. It actually was October. <laughs> <laughs> <That was November. laughs> All right. What did you have for dinner then, Socks? <laughs> and not for bonus points or anything, but just to put Socks even more on the spot here. Who set up that goal? Ooh, Sebastian Basson. It was definitely a ball from the right because I remember him coming into the far corner. I'm I'll give you sure. a clue. Pretty, it was the guy who scored the equaliser in that game. I don't actually remember the equaliser. It was Darren Bent. It was Darren Bent. Yeah. It was Darren, Darren Bent. Bent. All right, either way, you've got the point. Right, Socks, here's one for you now. December 2015, we're into the Pochettino era. A cross comes in from the right. (laughs) Which man to give us a 2-1 win against Watford? 
bat flicks from the cross, both feet off the Did ground. You say back flips? Into the corner past Aurelio Gomez. Back, no, back, no, back, back heels. Back heels. <laughs> back uh, flips. I'd remember that. This, it was Kieran Trippier that made the cross, and he was offside when he scored, but this was pre VAR, so it wasn't given. It was Hungman's son. It was Hungman's son. I've got no hope. Come on, Dave, help me out here. This is all your fault. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm doing a really good job of shouting out ex Leeds players. Yeah. Please. <laughs> right, Dagus. There's part of me that feels proud, and then there's part of me that feels like I'm winning a 100 meter sprint against somebody in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that thing with Michael Owen where he keeps scoring goals? Well, that kid well, mate, he's 13. Well, that Michael is 13. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Lovely. Thanks for reminding our listeners why I'm the host. Why I, I ask the questions and I don't answer them. Yeah. Okay. Please continue. Tagus. Yeah. It's January 2019. We're away. Fulham. We win this game 2-1. Which player scores his first league goal for Spurs before running half length of the pitch to get into the warm, loving embrace of disgraced ex-Spurs manager Maurizio Pochettino? I mean, that sounds like Emmanuel Adebayor's MO, but it's obviously not him. Um, 2019 against Fulham. Scores a winning goal yeah. and then runs back. His first goal for the club. And he celebrates by going and giving Big Daddy Pochettino a big old bear hug. I've got no idea on this one. Dave, do you have any idea? I'm trying to think who it could have been around that time. First goal for the club in 2019. Socks, you know it, this. It was, a, it was a header, if that helps. Uh, was not it a, a player you'd expect to score a header. Or score. Did Ndombele play for you at that point? Did he ever score for you? I'm trying to remember who he even signed that year because that's when we got rid of Dembele. I can tell Um, you who crossed it if that helps. It probably won't, but just tell me. (laughs) It was was George Kevin and Kudu. It was randomly came on off the bench. So he didn't score then. A very deep, long whipped cross from Nkudu from the far left. No, I've got got no idea. Who is it? No, wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Wait. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. It wasn't Lorente. No. <laughs> no. It wasn't Lorente. Actually, he, I think he might have scored a header. You wouldn't expect to score a header. No, you probably would expect him to score a header. I forgot that part. So, Socks. It was Harry Socks, Winks. Who was that player? Harry Winks. It was Harry Winks. Yeah. That was his first that was goal. The, it was Harry that, was, that was the last yeah. away okay. game we won under Pochettino, and that was January. And from January okay. to November, when he got sacked, we didn't win another away game. Uh, my mind was on players that we'd recently signed. I was thinking, surely it was a new player. I probably should have thought outside the box. I forgot he was a footballer. As we all suspected, Harry Winks was the reason Pochettino eventually got the sack. <laughs> yes. Right. Socks, I'm going to give you a slightly easier one than last time. Great. <laughs> <laughs> this one is read the read the room yeah. <laughs> give me this like an easier one this one is in keeping with what went on yesterday we're at home it's March 2006 we won this game 2-1 okay. we're playing West Brom Thomas Kushak has been time-wasting oh the entire I ha- match. I hated this. I've never held more abuse <laughs> at a single player in any match in my entire life. I almost got removed. I'm not even kidding. The stewardess this was the goal in front was, of you. I, you sat yes, behind the goal at yes, the time. It was Robbie Keane. I'm pretty sure of it with a late penalty. If you're listening it to was. this, Thomas Kushak, I'm fucked up. <laughs> Hated him. And that hate carries to this day. To this day. Fuck you. Go fuck yourself, prick. I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat what I said earlier. No DNA test required whatsoever. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> He's 
gone from Batman to the Joker. Was it Robert King? <laughs> oh, okay. God. Compose ourselves. <laughs> um, yes, it was Robbie Keane. Do you remember who won the penalty? Oh, just don't. Just move on, on, please. I, I'm pre- did it? Wasn't Kushak the one that gave it away? He fouled someone. I'm pretty sure. But Defoe. Yeah, Defoe mugged off Kushak. Kushak yeah. then took Defoe down in the area. Keane scored yeah. the penalty. Do I get a point for that? I think. Yeah, give him a point. You know I think what? we need it. Sympathy points. Mm. I think you get sympathy points. I'm going to write socks slash for that. <laughs> Nothing for Dagus. <laughs> no I in team, eh? <laughs> All right. Right. Dagus, yeah. November 2014. <clears throat> We've made a less than brilliant start to the season. We win this game 2-1. We're away to Aston Villa. We get a free kick. This saved Maurizio Pochettino's job, in his words who scored that highly deflected free kick to rewrite history. When was this? November 2014, the game that saved Pochettino's job. Oh, this was this was Harry Kane, wasn't it? This was Harry yeah. Kane, yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I like how you, you had to go to our all-time Nailed record it. goal scorer for me to know who it was. That's my level. <laughs> <laughs> A Harry Kane free oh, kick, God. wow. <laughs> Yeah. Rhymes with Larry right. Bing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about three seconds off that, Socks. wasn't I? It's March 2007. We've been ahead in this game. We've been behind in this game. Okay. We've seen a young Adele Tarabt mesmerize us with his first few touches of a Spurs football. Dimitar Berbatov has scored a free kick in this match. Carlos Tevis has scored a free kick in this match and his first goal for West Ham in the process. Paul Staltieri. Yep, it is Paul Staltieri. I would have known that one. 4 3. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would have got that one. I would have got that one. I'd like to. <laughs> I'm sure you would. Yeah, I would. We we know. I guess you'd have got yeah, that yeah. one. Thanks, man. I'd like to apologise to my dad for that one because it was one of the few times in my entire life where I chose to winningly miss the game, even though it was on TV. Because I was going out with this girl I fancy, not on a date, but we were part of a group, and I really wanted to be with her to try and impress her. <laughs> I ended up. My dad ended up missing the game because he picked me up on the way home, and we had to celebrate the winner in the car. I asked her out, and she said no anyway. So oh, I gained absolutely nothing. Oh my god, you got friend zoned into the ground. That's brutal. <laughs> What's worse? And that, I missed the Paul Terry is that is that worse than me making you all miss the best game of the twenty eighteen World Cup to drag you on a boat party in Ionapa? Not I you, mean, Sox. You, you caught yeah. me sick, yeah. Well, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do we have more radio? Dagus, I expect you to know this. I don't work well under pressure. May 2010, 1-0. Manchester City away. That was Peter Crouch. That was that Peter was. Crouch. I took an elbow to the face in the immediate aftermath of that celebration. <laughs> you did. Yeah. That was a good was, time. It was a wild night in my living room. It was. Yeah. So the only clue I'm going to give you for this is Tom Carroll assist. Uh, Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale it was. Away at West Ham. Outstanding. Away at West Ham. And what was the score in that match? It was, that was 3-2. Uh, it was. Absolutely correct. Finally, Dagus, mm-hmm. I th- think you were once again with me. Mm-hmm. This was Harry Redknapp's first official Premier League game. This was away. This was Arsenal. This was not a victory. A supporter jumped onto the pylon when this goal went in. Which wonderful Spurs yeah. legend scored this late, late equaliser to send Arsene Wenger into a fit of despair. I feel like you're using the term Spurs legend slightly tongue-in-cheek here, but I think the answer is Aaron Lennon. I'm not using it tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> and the answer is Aaron Lennon. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Didn't someone, like, run off the pitch or fall out of the crowd? Yeah. Or some... yeah. It was, yeah, it was chaos. 
absolute chaos yeah good times it was absolute chaos right i hope that was a nice little trip down memory lane i think we can agree that socks won that and displayed some exceptional knowledge throughout (laughs) uh, apart from when he tried to catch me out and um i think (laughs) yeah i would have i would have needed bergwijn and kulisevsky to pull that one back at the end i think that was uh yeah comfortable victory but i think thanks to dave getting an assist on the robbie Keane answer it was only actually six four to socks in the end so not a complete humiliation thanks man <laughs> i will take that's a, that's a good I will take not a complete humiliation i'm a bit like spurs in the 90s i hope that was as fun for you as it was for me <laughs> i think i think i speak for everyone when i say that that was a lot of fun and thank you for the effort and putting that one together earlier lovely let's try and have some more some more challenge ideas in future shall we because it was good it was good it's gonna make my life a hell editing but you know what else is new brilliant well it I think that is more than enough podcasting for one day, despite the fact that we've got a big game coming up and we've just had an absolutely insane end to the other game. Thanks, guys, for joining. Thanks, everyone, for listening, of course, as always. And uh, on that note, just want to say a continued thank you to everyone who keeps on listening and, and all the new listeners that we've had, not just in Cyprus, but all around the world, because we're, we're breaking record after record. We've just had our highest ever day in terms of downloads. We've just had potentially the highest ever month. We're on, we're on course to breaking our record there. So really good to see all of you guys joining in. And we hope you join us next week, which is is going to be an extra special bumper size episode no doubt when we're going to be looking back on the arsenal game depending on uh, how well that does or doesn't go as always follow us on twitter at plus dave podcast you can follow me at plus dave dags you can follow elio at elio underscore p underscore thfc and you can follow dave at fantasy dave you cannot follow socks because um well i mean after some of the language you just heard i suspect you probably wouldn't want to but yeah he does not have a twitter account so uh maybe that's one for the future but we'll watch out, but you can reach socks via our group email which is plus dave podcast at gmail.com <laughs> he he refreshes it every five minutes waiting for updates so uh, <laughs> you can um you can do that if you want to get in touch and, uh, and please do get in touch let us know if you've got any questions any thoughts anything we've discussed anything about spurs in general anything you want us to read out really we're not picky as long as it's not obscene or defamatory we will probably read it out and in fact even if it is obscene we'll probably still read it out because um exhibit a being this podcast fantastic well guys uh, any closing words before i uh I let everyone go and we can go and start thinking about how we're going to dismantle Arsenal next week. Fuck Thomas Kuchak. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, we leave you. <laughs> I normally end the podcast by saying stay classy Spurs fans, but I don't think I can bring myself to do it. So instead, I would just say other Spurs, other Spurs fans. fans. So instead I would say, we'll see you next week. Looking forward to it. Come on, you Spurs. Okay.